Can a game be worth playing even if it's not fun? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week we're going to challenge one of the most basic assumptions there is about game design, that games are always supposed to be fun. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. Joining me this week, Steve Tassie. Hello. And introducing Vincent Kong. Hello. Welcome to the show, Vincent. Thank you very much. All right. So um, whenever somebody talks about what are supposedly Shakespeare's best plays, they always talk about the tragedies, not the comedies. When Oscar season rolls around, it's often the sad movies that get nominated for Best Picture. When people talk about great works of art in video games, they'll often talk about moments that make you cry. Steve, Vincent, do you have any favorite feel-bad movies or songs or stories that you just love? Ah, I'm sure I do. Uh, I'm drawing a blank at the moment, uh, but uh, there are certainly, I mean, uh, Creep. Okay, Radiohead. Sure. Uh, Fantastic song. I love that song to pieces. I will listen to pretty much anybody's cover of that song because I just want to see how they deal with with it. I mean, it it has a, a lovely melody. Uh, which is part of why I really like it. But I also, you know, the the underdog, the feeling of of not being uh, worthy of love, that's such a, uh, a universal feeling, unless you're a textbook narcissist, uh, that that I think it, it speaks to a lot of people, and it definitely speaks to me. So, I mean, that's, that's for sure one. How about you, Vincent? One of my favorite movies is the uh, film adaptation of Philip K. Dick uh, through Scanner Darkly. Mm. Like, it's just called A Scanner Darkly. It stars Keanu Reeves, and it's rotoscoped, and it's just this dark meditation on drug culture, like addiction, crime, and it's just, it's completely a downer. There's nothing positive <laughs> about it at all. And yet, it's still this fantastic movie. What keeps you coming back to it? Everything. The performances, like Robert Downey Jr. is in it, Woody Harrelson, Winona Ryder. It's the, the artistic style where they rotoscoped on top of an actual, like, acted-out film, and they drew on top of it. Like, everything about it is fantastic. So, beautiful treatment of sad, horrible, miserable material mm-hmm. makes for good watching. Yes. Just as, uh, you know, a really good treatment of, of, of a deeply sad song brings us back to that. So, um, I mean, for me, I'm going to go over to video games for this one. They don't see very many of those, but uh, there's one called Spec Ops The Line. Which, on the surface, it looks like a Call of Duty clone. Uh, what it actually is, is a modern-day treatment of Heart of Darkness, which is the same story that Apocalypse Now is based on. And it's about obsession and about going deeper into something that you feel like you've already gone so far into that you can't stop now. Uh, it's horrifying, and it's an absolute indictment of you, the player, as well, for doing these horrible things just because you need to know what happens Being next. Complicit. You've come this far. You have to keep going, right? Um, ah, the sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> it is. Um, it's great stuff. I know. So it's it's hard to sort of pin your finger on what it is about sadness and rage and loss in stories and art that keeps us coming back to it. But there it is. These things seem fairly common in music and movies and song. But it's there's a there's a catharsis to it. Is. As as long as you're not you know a clinically depressed person mm-hmm. uh, who you know those types of people should probably avoid the sad music and the sad movies uh, if they want to... Unless it helps them get through the day. Right? Oh, obviously. I mean, everyone's different, and, and there will be some people who will uh, find benefit, but I know people who are like, no, I, I just don't want to deal with right. sad things. It's easy enough to make me feel bad. I don't want songs or or movies or books doing it to me. Uh, but for, for people for whom, you know, 
negative so-called emotions are not a, a problem. There's there's a catharsis in having a, a good moment of sorrow or loneliness or despair. We've all, we've all felt that way. I think it makes us feel less alone. Yeah. The to, reality of human experience. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and the shared reality of, of somebody else feeling and of hurting the way we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so question, how come there are almost no board games that do this? Well, I mean, it's the same issue with like animation where some people are just go like, oh, animation's for kids. And you go, well, you clearly have not seen anything by Pixar, let alone <laughs> anything else that's deeply meditative. Anybody who did not cry at the start of Up, you are not human. And you just talked about through Scanner Darkly and other animated mm-hmm. features as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, I think that the word game, just like video game, the word game implies fun, fun childishness sometimes, like again, to be on the derogatory side. Yeah. So it's hard. It's connected to the word play, right? Mm-hmm. You, when you're playing, you're not playing to, to give yourself a, you know, just overwhelming tears. That's not what play is. Uh, so that's not what a game is uh, to most people. I wonder if it would be different in an era where stage plays were more common. It's the word play doesn't make us think of Hamlet or Lear these mm-hmm. days. It would have in an sure. earlier time. And these are not happy stories. And mm-hmm. these were the ones that people really wanted to go see mm-hmm. the most. Or at least uh, they certainly have, have, have endured among the you know, hoity-toity you know, Ivory Tower crowd as being the greatest works. But people also cry at sports results. I mean, if, if, the, Raptors, <laughs> right. if the Raptors lose when they're playing their game of basketball, like, I think a lot of Torontonians will be crying. <laughs> okay, well, there are plenty of games where it's mostly about challenge rather than fun, sort of like the equivalent of going for a workout. Most people don't consider lifting weights to be particularly fun, but they do it anyway because it's healthy and it feels good to do something challenging. Uh, do you like games that aren't what you exactly call fun but are for a good chance for your brain to do its thing? Oh, absolutely. There are so many different levels of that. Um, the heavy Euro games involving resource management, worker placement, things like Terra Mystica or Agricola. Those are some of my absolute favorite games. And there's going to be a lot of people who will never touch it with a 10-foot pole. It's, I get the sense that these kinds of games aren't as popular as things like jogging or working out, despite being less physically painful and taxing. Any idea why that is? It is very much the challenge. It's the idea that once you master what's inside the box, the systems and understanding what the strategies are, there's such a, a feeling of accomplishment. Mm. It's like there's this also, for whatever reason, if you're playing you know, with a lot of players in Agricola or Terra Mystica, I don't think anybody thinks they're winning. There's this <laughs> feeling where you're if like... If you're playing Agricola, nobody is winning. <laughs> oh, Steve. But just at the end of the game, you suddenly go, I won? And then it's just fantastic. It's just, it, I love it. I think these, and maybe the analogy shouldn't be with lifting weights or jogging, but rather with climbing a mountain. You know, that sense when you get to the summit, mm-hmm. realizing, oh my goodness, let's look how far away the ground is. I got, I got there. I did it. Yeah. yeah. I think part of um, the, the difference in perception between doing uh, something, whether it's sticking to your diet or, or doing an ex- exercise uh, regimen uh, versus playing a game is that in our current society, um, play is undervalued. Um, Absolutely. The development of the mind is undervalued uh, in society. I mean, there are certainly those people who are very much into intellectual pursuits and, and expanding their, their own uh, experiences and ways of thinking. But for the most part, there is a, 
anti-intellectualism that is ravaging uh, Western society. Even intellectualism, it's like structured. It's like yeah. education, higher education, as opposed to having a diverse skill set that you just develop naturally. It has to be productive mm-hmm. in the sense that it has to add to your country's GDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows, whether they want to do it or not, but everybody knows that working out and eating healthy is good for you. It has benefits. Mm-hmm. Not as many people are aware that playing games is just as good for you and has benefits. Studies have proven this yep. over and over again. If you play games, even if, if it's just doing the crossword puzzle in the paper, the more you play games, the better your odds of avoiding uh, dementia and Alzheimer's and other mental uh, decrepitude uh, later on in life. Uh, but most people don't think of games as being a health tool. Yeah, how often do we hear people say, I don't want to think? Yeah. When mm-hmm. they're, when they're, uh, I just want a fun game. When, yeah, exactly. I don't want to think during my off time is yeah. a big thing as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There are people who spend so much time thinking at work uh, that they can't imagine a fun activity that also involves thinking. And that would certainly do a lot to push these sort of not fun but uh, interesting intellectual challenges out of their, uh, their, their, their area of interest. So there's obviously another way to do this, and that is to go into games where the subject matter falls well outside the realm of what would be considered to be fun. We're going to talk a little bit about a game called The Grizzled by Fabien Riffaut and Juan Rodriguez. This is a game about World War I that doesn't have any fighting in it. No battles, no glory, just trying to survive years of brutal trench warfare. You guys played The Grizzled? Yes. Yes. Is it fun? No. I don't think it's at all fun. Okay. How come you're still playing it? Uh, well, uh, I'd like to win once. <laughs> it's, um, it's brutal. It is it, impossible. It is, it is a... Even on uh, the easiest difficulty level? Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is extremely difficult to win the game. Yeah, the mechanics uh, are specifically designed to be consistently punishing. Yeah, a, a lot of co-op games are like that in that they are challenging They because if they're not challenging, what's the point? Right. But you do get some games like The Grizzled uh, where going beyond being challenging is the point. I mean, mm-hmm. an entire, almost an entire generation of men died in World War I uh, from, you know, many countries across Europe and other parts of the world. This is a, a game that, if it were fun, it would be offensive, you know. It, it, but its its whole point was to be a sort of grueling, challenging uh, homage and, and, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Tribute? Yes, a tribute, thank you, uh, to those soldiers who, who gave their lives and, and went through horrible things. And not even all just the soldiers who gave their lives, but the ones who came home, but came home broken or different than they were when they left. One of the things that I think is so remarkable about the Grizzled's design is the way that support and helping your friends to not lose hope mm-hmm. is such a huge part of the game. Um, it's, it seems to be a game that creates moments of, uh, of, of, of intense pathos and high emotion. Mm-hmm. You've, you've had moments like that, I take it. Oh, yeah. The thing that makes it really weird, as you say, the support is a mechanic in the game where you actually try and, as a group, choose the person who needs the most help in order to hopefully win the game. 
but also the game mechanics often throw in what, like wrenches where you can't give support to who you want. Maybe your character becomes selfish. Maybe they become afraid, and somehow mm. they can't provide support in the right ways. And that is just as much a part of the game as anything else. Now let's talk a little bit about Freedom the Underground Railroad by Brian Mayer. This is a game where the players struggle to abolish slavery in a time and place when this was considered absolutely impossible. You guys have played Freedom? I have, yeah. I actually have not. Okay, Steve, what do you think? Fun game? Uh, no, again. I would uh, agree. <laughs> to, to make a fun game about abolishing slavery would would miss the point, yeah. I think. Um, but it's a fantastic game. Uh, from just a mechanically solid, uh, it will make you care about the choices you make in a game more than any other game I have ever played. Uh, the little wooden cubes that represent the groups of slaves, when you lose one of those, it it hurts. You You feel that you have just utterly failed a group of human beings and condemned them to death or possibly worse than death. Uh, and the feeling that you get when you get one of those cubes across the border into Canada is equally as positive in the other direction. The, the elation that you feel when you realize you, know, you, have, you have saved these people. Uh, it's, it's an amazing piece of game engineering that, that it can create that level of emotional connection to pieces of cardboard and wood. And it creates moments where you find yourself in a situation where you realize you are going to have to make sacrifices. When you realize that you can't save everyone. Mm-hmm. When you realize that if you move this group over here so they're going to get caught, that opens the way for two others to get through safely. Yeah. And that terrible human calculus. Like, mm-hmm. is, can, is, can this be worthwhile? Can it ever be worthwhile? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. Well, so many of these games that we've already talked about, you know, and I would add potentially even like Memoir 44 to the mix, mm-hmm. are historical games. And certainly, I feel like people trying to make that tribute to a historical event don't want to make light on it. Mm-hmm. And the experience of it, like putting us into the shoes of somebody involved in that direct conflict or that particular time in history, that is what makes these games a valuable and worthwhile experience. I think it might also be worth pointing out that both The Grizzled and Freedom are cooperative games. Mm-hmm. These are games where the players are all on the same team, all working mm-hmm. together. They're all, they're, either they're all going to win or they're all going to lose. And the game itself uh, presents the, uh, the challenges, the, the enemies. Yeah, I cannot imagine wanting to play Freedom if it was a competitive game. Yeah, that, either, goes, that goes beyond not fun yeah, into like, yeah. just... Either it's, you know, competitive, uh, each of us is, uh, you know, a Harriet Tubman-style person trying to rescue the most slaves, which is okay until you realize that in order for me to win, you have to lose, which means I have to try to make you fail at rescuing people. Nope. Or you're playing a game where one or more of the players are active slavers. slavers and slave catchers trying to stop the whole... Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Neither of those sound like fun. But uh, it, it's, it, and again, it goes beyond not being fun and well into the realm of like, okay, this is just straight up distasteful, mm-hmm. inappropriate. But um, when people are at uh, the cafe, most often they're looking for stuff that's fun. And that's understandable. You mentioned before, people think of games as being for kids. 
And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's awesome kids games out there. What are some ways that we could help to introduce people to the idea that a game doesn't have to be fun to be worth playing? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think it definitely has to be a situation not, for example, on a Friday night at 8 p.m. You know, like it would <laughs> yeah. have to be a situation where you have a, a group that is definitely like projecting that they want to have an experience, mm-hmm. that it's a time of day or a, on a weekend where you would normally potentially go out to see you know, a play or something artistic. Like or a, go rock climbing. Yeah, like some kind of an, a, a moment where you actually have the mental space and mental capacity to enjoy, in quotation marks, a, a, a more dramatic and more artistic experience. A more challenging experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also a matter of baby steps as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the average customer uh, of Snakes and Lattes, uh, I don't care what time of day it is, what day of the week it is, whether they their options were come to see come visit us and play games or go and see, you know, uh, Pagliacci. Um, the average customer is not looking to, nor ready to jump into something like freedom. So, uh, one of the things that we do well is give people a a scaffolding, a ladder to climb into, uh, the hobby as, as far as they want to. And so it's those, it's take those steps, get them thinking beyond, Uno and Sorry and Taboo and Scrabble to expand their horizons to more just more fun games. And then once they're beyond realizing, oh, hey, man, there's all sorts of different kinds of games out there. That's the moment when they're ready for a game that might be a challenge as opposed to fun. Right. And we're teaching literature. We don't start with Hamlet. Yeah. No. And certainly we wouldn't be introducing these games to people on a first date. Unless, well, Uh, fun stories are supposed to be lowbrow, lowest common denominator type stuff, and they're popular for good reason. People want to enjoy themselves and they're playing games, but not every song, not every movie has to make you feel happy. Sometimes it's good to take in artistic experiences that make us feel sad or overwhelmed or lost. Helps you have a better sense of empathy for people who are hurting for real, and can't put a price on that. All right, that's it for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Steve, Vincent, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on. Game on.